Greetings, Wargamers. We're your hosts, Trevor, Jay, Josh, and this is Shane Attack. Attack. is sponsored by Discount Games Incorporated. Discount Games Incorporated specializes in customer service, low prices, and prompt shipping. You can find our web store at www.discountgamesinc.com. Chain Attack. I'm your host, Trevor, and I'm currently playing Diablo 4, like right now. <laughs> I'm I'm Jay, and in the time that elapsed from the, the pre-ramble, when we started talking about Ark Nova, and now we've finished a game of Ark Nova, but, but no one has started a new game of Ark Nova. Or multiple... No, I, I did. I did. You just have to accept. Oh, I... I, I assumed I would get a email invite, but I'll no. Know. If if you won't, once you have an account, or no, if you're online with an if account, you're, right? if you're online with an account when the new game is started, you won't get an email. Ah, uh, I see. All right. Well, that's that's great. I would love to love uh, to smash us again. <laughs> hardly, hardly a smashing. No, it was. Yeah, I felt <laughs> I felt smashed. I felt deliberately smashed. Oh yeah, there was smashing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who else is here with us? Uh, I'm Josh, and dang it, I forgot my pithy comment because I was just looking at my <laughs> score on Ark Nova. I just don't understand how to have money and also have animals and also have pens. And I am preparing for a Father's Day weekend away with my children, and I'm quite proud that they have all selected a, one game that they want brought to the Father's Day weekend getaway. I am, uh, I won't comment on the quality of their choices, but I'm proud that they all had choices. <laughs> See, my question with Jay is I don't understand how he had enough workers and to have the association card in the fifth slot so many times to hit so many conservation projects i just don't yeah, understand all i know happens. is when i've played him in real life he he uses x's in a way that seems basically I, unholy, unholy from what i, I can didn't understand. have very many x's this game well um, I, I just assumed that's what you were doing is xing so hard that you know um really i i so i had one one creature that one time i played it when my association card went to was it one and it boosted it up to five um, that was the only time I boosted it, but in general, I would say that I feel like uh, the core strategy of of Arc Nova, in my opinion, all shifts around. Like, I never want to pick a card that is behind my association card, which it you guys probably do as well. Behind your association card. Yeah, my yeah, my I, my I association almost... card should always be be moving forward. Yeah, I I never pick something behind my association card. I have literally never paid attention to my association card ever. In this <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the more critical cards, Josh. It's... You should pay a little more attention to it. Would they teach me that in the tutorial if on BGA? No, 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 oh, no, okay. no, they would not. It's a bummer. That is a, that is a tactical tip, not a gameplay tip. 
like the rules do not necessarily equate to yes the tactics of what you should do with your association card but i will say with a firm emphatic this is the way it is the association board is the most important board in the game <laughs> don't come at me with your details <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess let's, uh, so news and announcements, um, the, the pre-sales have gone live for Leviathan, which is the new box set for Warhammer 10th edition. Uh, it's still available at discount games, Inc at 20 or sorry, 15% off, um, which is a whale of a deal. Uh, so get your, get your pre-order in and um and when when do they start to ship out um because at this point i assume that you like own several where or you're renting like several warehouses in the cd I mean, belly of our hometown filled with leviathan boxes at this they point. they sent me you know 150 tracking numbers and that tracking number has said you know this this will be updated in a, at a future time with a delivery date uh, supposedly they're going to drop off the uh, um, the boxes to UPS today or tomorrow. So I'll hopefully be getting them on like Tuesday or Wednesday. And then we will begin shipping right away. Um, so we, we have a related topic to the launch of Leviathan that I was going to have us talk about. And it's it's something where... Uh, I feel like it's, it's something I think is a little bit interesting that if you, if you look at some various, um, genres of games, um, collectible card games, there's magic of the gathering. If you look at mentors games, there's games, workshop games. If you look at, um, uh, the, the other one I was thinking about was role-playing games with, with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, these are all games where they've managed to stay the, the dominant game in this category. Yeah, 100 pound gorilla. Yeah. And they, they can ebb and flow at, at some points. Um, but in general, they've, they've managed to stay the, the dominant game in their genre. And, and, you know, my, my personal opinion is that in basically every single one of these genres that um they are not uh the best version of a game in that genre um i'm i'm assuming i'm I'm curious trevor if if you how how much umbrage you take with that statement for role-playing games um i don't i don't know that i'm offended by that statement um i do think that of the three genres you've mentioned D D has done the best job at updating their system in this version so clearly that hasn't been the case in every version three uh, or 3.5 down to four was not a step up um but but three to five i do think is a step up i think five is a streamlined version do i think that it is <clears throat> the best role-playing game no i don't think so i think there's better sets of rules i think there's better sets of settings i think there's better there's better role-playing games for yeah. for both fantasy and for just in general um 
I do think that it does that it's done a better job of staying with the times than the other two games have, especially Magic. Magic doesn't feel like it's reinvented itself at any point. I mean, there have been minor changes over the years, but at the core, it's still the same game it was 30 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, even like the new, even the new um, Lord of the Rings set is not making like monumental changes or anything, right? And some of the some of the big changes, I would probably say, are stuff like. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's changes, yes, but fundamentally, but not, it's still yeah, the same not, thing. Not fundamentally, I get it. Sure. Um, stuff like stuff like you know, obviously the game didn't launch with with stuff like um, Planeswalkers. Yeah, Planeswalkers are a good example of something that has definitely been added that was not there. Right. And are fundamentally different than the game was 30 years ago. Right. So I'm... I'm curious. I want to hear... Give me... Is there only one game in that genre that you feel is the better game, Jay? Or, like, could you... If I said give me three, could you give me three? Or could you give me two? You know what I mean? In card games? In I mean, what is Magic the Gathering? It is a collectible card collectible game. Ca- right? Collectible card, card game. game, yeah. Are yeah. you including digital collectible card games in that? Oh, jeez almighty. I feel like at this uh, point you kind of have to. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah, okay, I guess so. Yeah, because then you're talking about like Hearthstone and Marvel Snap and all that stuff, right? Yes. Ugh, okay, all right, I'm thinking about it. But yes, let, let's say that I am including those. I mean, I'm not a purveyor of such things, but I think that most of the digital implementations of games are better than Magic. I think Hearthstone and I think Marvel Snap are both better than Magic. And I think almost any card game is better than Magic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, like, the only time I interact with Magic anymore is um, if there's a draft, right? Like, yeah, I'm just an absolute sucker for doing for drafting. So that I, you know, we're gonna talk at some point about why these games are the dominant in their particular genres, and part of the reason I think is. You know, first to market. We can talk about that. But before we get there, one of the things that I think that these games have that a lot of these other games don't, um, and what makes them maintain their dominance, is the support that they have. Yeah, yeah. So you know, D and D has more splat books and campaigns and other things um, than any other RPG out there, Um, and I don't think that's even a stretch to say. And I think that Magic has, um, you know, support for Friday Night Magic and other things and tournaments and, um, you know, professional players. You don't necessarily have that in all these other games because they don't have the weight of, you know, 30 years behind them. Um, Games Workshop is no different. It has a significant player base, um, significant support, um, not only in the com- com- competitive sphere, but also in the modeling sphere. You know, they have their own line of uh, very well um, supported paints and modeling things. And, uh, you know, they're just all, they do a very good job of maintaining their lead in the industry because of the support they give. So this is going to kind of piggyback a little bit off this idea, but one that I think is a little bit unique with Magic is that I, I've, this is a theory I have with magic and I feel pretty strongly about this. Um, but I feel like there is, um, 
part of the reason why magic sticks around and why it has survived is that it feels like there are so many forces that are conspiring to have magic succeed. And so what do I, what I mean by that is, you know, there's game stores, obviously who a big chunk of their income is potentially for magic. That's, that's one force. But the, the other part that I think is also important is that, you know, a lot of people view their magic collection as an investment. Mm-hmm. And you, if you are a player, you do not want your investment to lose value. And the way that it loses value is if uh, the game dies, the game dies. So I don't know. I've, I've felt for a while that, um, that that's part of the success that, um, that that game has going on for it. I don't know. And do you, do you guys think, do you think that there's a similar feeling in the others? I don't think similar momentum. I mean, this I, is basically the sunk cost fallacy, right? Is I think that magic takes it a little bit farther. Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, I, I, I do think that it does does exist with some of the others. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I just kind of feel like the the fact that so many people view their magic collection as an item of significant value. Yeah, in many cases way more than it actually is <laughs> my favorite posts on like facebook and these geek groups is like here i've got these boxes filled with old magic cards you know so i'll sell them all for a 100 bucks and and you know if you were to go look in those boxes it's just like it's it's a you know few boxes of commons it's not worth 100 bucks yeah yeah and the number of times i've seen people come in um to your store and with you know here's my magic collection that i've had for you know 20 years or whatever i decided to come in and cash in today so that i can go to college and the truth is is what they have is basically you know it's pennies on the dollar for what they put into it right yeah 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 that's true <laughs> yeah i don't know what to say about that <laughs> <laughs> here's my magic collection make me rich uh we'll give you 50 bucks for it what <laughs> That'll pay for one quarter of a credit. Um, what do you? What What are some other reasons why you think those these games might be in this position? I, I mean, do you think it's I, do you think it's fair to call Magic the first to market in? I I, try, I was just trying to think about if there were trading card games or collectible card games before no, it. First, no. It was definitely the first. Yeah. There were collectible I mean, so that's, cards. So that's that's a huge deal, right? Games. Right. Right, baseball cards, right? Sure, and football sure. cards and everything else. And and I I won't say that this is its sole thing, but in the early 90s, those things, collectible um baseball cards, football cards, everything were at their height. Like literally the most intense point in football cards history was early 90s. Like everyone was wanting they were doing all sorts of embossed cards and pre-signed cards where you could open a pack and find a card that was already pre-signed and there was tons of stuff going on where the bubblegum pack of of football cards from the 80s um was was growing up 
And um, I sort of experienced that in middle school and high school where cards went from being something where you bought and there was this bubble gum in the back of the pack to you were buying and the bubble gum was, you know, originally was kind of the draw. You're buying a pack of bubble gum, but you were getting football cards or baseball cards at the same time to being we won't put bubble gum in anymore because it might ruin that, you know, rookie card in the back. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like Magic sort of caught the coattails of that in a way. And they're like, hey, we've got this collectible card game and they're going to hold residual value, too. And a lot Instead of the people... of bubble gum, there's a game and a investing element. Correct. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden that sort of some of that stuff was being sold in some of the same card shops and sort of caught on to some of the same people. I won't say the exact same group of people because the obviously, you know, the, the magic guys were way nerdier than the, than the baseball or football card guys, but there was definitely some of that hysteria that was going on at the time that, that helped magic get off the ground. But for the other ones, I, I don't see that same correlation. For the other game types, or for the or just for other yes. collectible card for, games, you mean? No, for role playing games. So, so I don't I don't know if D and D was the first role playing game. I guess maybe it was, but I would say that that argument is not necessarily as strong. And I mean, only if you consider Chainmail to be D and D, right? Well, Chainmail is the same group. That's it's what I mean. Like yeah. Right. So I mean. I'm just saying I'm not sure that they're even the first role-playing game. There's potentially others that are similar before. Okay. And, and the, the argument gets even less um, strong when you get to 40K or to Warhammer Fantasy in that there were definitely miniatures games long, long before 40K or, or Warhammer sure. came sure. along. You know, they were, they were playing miniature war games, you know, 100 years before... Um, Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40K came along. But they were always... I mean, it's hard to say this because 40K is fairly inaccessible, um, but the games before them were even more inaccessible, even more esoteric and difficult to get into. Yeah, it's interesting to me, like, what a sort of cultural phenomenon Magic has become, too. Like, D&D also, but, like, I, I can't remember... I feel like I recently listened to, like, the New York Times Daily podcast or something, you know, something that's like pretty significantly distributed, let's say. And they were talking about like the the Magic the Gathering business model and how the way they had built sort of the residual value slash, you know, investment element yeah. into it, like how it played such a significant role. And uh, yeah, and I can't think of any other game, especially in that genre, who's done anything like that. Yeah, and that's the reason why you know, Marvel, Marvel have... Snap and Hearthstone are never going to be able to... I don't think they'll maintain that same level of longevity. No, no yeah. one's going... I mean, I don't. I haven't logged into my Hearthstone account in years at this point, but financially, it represents a large amount of money, but I'm not, I'm not going, oh, well, if I don't log in, I'm going to lose that value because there's mm-hmm. no residual value. I can't sell right. it to anybody. right. At least not really. I mean, I'm sure you can sell your account, but, you know, the comparison is not very strong. Anyway, it's interesting. I don't know if anything's ever going to be able to overtake these things in their industry. Being first to market is so strong in gaming. Yeah, I mean, one of the the comments I hear all the time from friends about Games Workshop games is, you know, I'm, I kind of, I'll, I'll tease various friends 
uh, who live in various parts of the country about playing the Games Workshop game. And they will, one of the most common responses is they'll say, well, um, no matter where I go, I can find a... Uh, Basically an opponent. I can I can get a game of, of Warhammer or, or of, of 40K. And, and that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> which makes, you know, I guess that makes it all the more, um, why, why it's in the situation it's in, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I, and so again, tell me, tell me one or two games, you know, that you consider better than it. And cause, and then my follow-up question is like, how, how would those games, you know, which are ostensibly better games ever overcome that? You know, there was a long time. I, I mean, I, I, I do kind of want to give some credit to each of these games because I think that it's actually kind of astonishing to me that they've managed to maintain this because it's not, not an easy thing that they've done. I mean, being able to stay in a dominant position for that long mm-hmm. at, at some point, it doesn't just happen for one. Yeah. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. At some point it feels like, um, they should have, there should have been a critical error and they should have lost all their market share. And there, there were various points in the history of games workshop. Uh, one of which led to kind of the rise of war machine. Um, that because th- there were a lot of people who were dissatisfied with, um, games workshop games and it created an opportunity for other games to, start making a foothold, but it, it then games workshop kind of managed to write the ship, um, in the opinion of, of many, um, players, Consumers. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, of the things that were versed in miniatures games is probably more, you know, you asked what games are better than games workshop games or what games are better than these three games. And of the games that we're, you know, we are versed in, we can't really, I can't really address the card thing because I'm just not a card player to the degree that I would need to be to be able to say these games, especially in the physical card game market, and say these games are better. But in miniatures, I, I mean, I feel like I can name three games that are better than Games Workshop games. You know, I'm sure it'll alienate or offend people listening, but I think that War Machine is still, even in its current state, is still a better game. Sure, yeah. yeah. Even with the new edition. Yes, anything that Games Workshop is putting out, I think that that Marvel Crisis Protocol is better. Um, you know, and I think uh, I haven't played X-wing in a while, but there was definitely a time when X-wing was a, simply a better game than anything Games Workshop was putting out. Now, Games Workshop's current state is far better than it was 20 years ago. I mean, when you know the time period that Jay's talking about, they definitely had a lot of people leaving. Um, at that time, right now they don't because they're making some pretty good games. Let me let me be frank; they're making some good product. Um, they're putting out some of the best miniatures in the industry, and they got some good rules. So, you know, at this point, their their position is secure. I so here's here's though another example of um, th- this is currently going on with Magic. So Hasbro decided that even though they're making just like money hand over fist, ridiculous amounts of cash from, mm-hmm. uh, from Magic Gathering that they wanted more. 
<laughs> and you know it it feels like the a very common comment by magic players right now is that um it's there's just so much product coming out that it's impossible to keep up and you know there was a, a time where the most common format of of magic was a format called type 2 and it was basically you know the the last two years of essentially the last two years of releases um would make up the pool that you could make your decks from and it would rotate and you know it would work fine i guess um but wait do they not do that anymore they they do but it's a dead format at this point essentially why <laughs> because products coming out so quickly uh-huh. that no one that no one feels like they can keep up with that format huh so <laughs> um you know that is because i feel like you so, have a, you have versions that that are much much worse in the digital equivalent you know like i felt like well even marvel snaps and i felt like hearthstone's release schedule are they are bonkers to keep up with for me yeah like basically no one no one plays that format they they only play formats where the window extends back farther because then it's a bigger pool of cards and but there's also there's there's a lot of players who are like i can't I can't keep up with this. I don't want to try to keep up with this. I'm just going to kind of stop playing or I'm going to, um, you know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of people who feel like they can't keep up with it. So, but uh, another point. So this is, I think this is a great uh, two things that both, I I can't speak to games workshop. I don't think it's, well, I guess that's not true. This is going to be true for all three of them. So let me give an example for all three. Um, Trevor mentioned the importance of fan communities. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at D&D, you know, you, you have stuff like Critical Role or, um, you know, kind of the advent of Twitch or YouTube or, or all the, the streaming of stuff that's going on. Of live-streamed planes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at Magic, the most popular format of Magic is a fan created format and it's the format that drives the singles market that drives the values on the singles market. Um, and it, um, and, and magic, the gathering recognized that and adopted that. And, you know, they, they have sanctioned events for it. They put out product that is commander decks that are pre-constructed decks for that format. Um, and then the other one I was going to say was think of was, uh, frontline with games workshop. There was a long time where games workshop didn't really have a good tournament pack or maybe a tournament pack at all. And so there were people who made a fan created version of that and they, you know, had a series of tournaments, et cetera, that was all stuff that was um done from a a fan generated basis um so i don't know i guess i guess that is three examples of of things that you were talking about trevor that i i think is has been important to all three game success 
as as far as like th things that are better, you know, we don't necessarily need to go into the details, but I think that you know, in role playing games, there's tons of things that are better. It just right. really depends on what fits your group better. And maybe the one thing that D and D does do well is that as a sort of middle line to Kixinex, sort of it's generic. Yeah, it's generic enough that it sort of fits within everybody's concept. And everybody, I would say that you know, probably 66% of you know, that's a stat I just pulled out of thin air because um, clearly I know what I'm talking about. Um, clearly, yes. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I would say that two-thirds of role-playing people, they got they cut their teeth on D&D. So yeah. it's hard to overcome that when they're like, well, what is this Dungeons & Dragons? And they don't go, okay, well, I'm going to play Call of Cthulhu or I'm going to play you know, Vampire or I'm going to play Warhammer uh, fantasy role-play. Uh, they don't do that. They go, well, let's go play D&D. And so now they're they, that's what they learned on, and they stick with it. And you know, if they go to Twitch and say, well, "What's this role playing thing?" Sure, there are games of all those other things that you can find on Twitch. But if you went and looked at the role playing um, section of Twitch to see what you, game you could watch, it's the majority of, and I the vast majority of it is D and D. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's interesting. I would love to be able to come up with the product that was first to market in something and be ah. able to, you know, break in the big <laughs> amount of money that these games have, but it's not easy to do. They've done something interesting, amazing. That's not easy to replicate. Yeah. You're if you could, people would. Right. Yeah. That is a true statement. Well, Trevor, I think you should talk to us about, um, Diablo four. I was like, does this count as a, a continued first to market conversation? <laughs> uh, does it? Because they're not first to market in any way. Although I would say that they were. Maybe I mean, of first, the first to market I mean, for action. What RPGs. you call Diablo? Yeah, they're like they're like a looter shooter, right? Yeah, uh, action RPGs, what they are, and and maybe they are the first to market. I think there was things similar, but if you look at the history of Diablo, originally the game was supposed to be um, turn based, and um, they convinced the. Uh, the group that made it to switch it to a, a real-time style game. And the reason they were going to do it uh, turn-based was because it was easier to program that way. So, yeah, 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 I guess in a way it is sort of a first-to-market scenario, although I don't think it has the similar um, stranglehold on the market in any way. Right, right. But Diablo 4, um, I think that Diablo 4, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to speak from a position of authority because I'm not the most knowledgeable on Diablo things. I mean, let's face it, Trevor, you're the authority on this podcast. <laughs> um, I played a ton of Diablo 2. Um, you know, I don't remember how many times I'd actually beat the cow level a ton. Um, but um, I did not play a ton of Diablo 3. The Diablo 3 sort of missed the mark for me. Um, even after they fixed some of my issues, I played quite a bit of Diablo 3, but I didn't play a ton. So most of my comparison, honestly, of Diablo 4 is going to be with Diablo 2, even though I do feel like a lot of Diablo 4 is sort of an extension of what they learned from Diablo 3. Okay. Uh, but um, there's some really interesting things about the way that they've approached Diablo 4 that I think are just superior to everything they've done previously. One of the things is the game really sits in an open world environment. Um, so rather than being sort of, I don't know if 
if you've ever played um, how much of the previous games you've played, but you would load into an area and really it was sort of, you know, work your way through to the end and then teleport out. And there is still some of that in Diablo 4, but the greater world is this, this big open world where you can travel from one end to the other without any loading screens or without any um, uh, changes or ends to it. It just goes on and there's just this huge world map. Additionally, regardless of where you're at in that world map, um, you never find yourself out of place for your level. Like it, it auto adjusts on the fly. So if you're in the starting area as a level one character, the creatures you're going to fight are a challenge. If you come back to the starting area as a level 50 character, I won't say those same character or same creatures are a challenge per se, but they are scaled to your level quite well to the point where um, you're gonna you're you're not gonna just walk over them. So and it does that really well on the fly. It also does it. You can, as a level fifty character, you can jump in a group with a level two character, and those same same creatures um, scale for both of you in a way that you seamlessly are attacking the same creature and feel like you're fighting the same creature you would be if you were working solo. So it did do that in some to some degree in um, Diablo three, but I feel like it does it so much better in Diablo four. Um, the character classes are all interesting. The one of the things that I feel like they've done better here is the skill trees are are superior to at least when Diablo three initially released. Um, it feels a lot more like Diablo two, but better. Um, there's just tons of options, tons of builds you can go through, and all of them feel like they're meaningful and provide a different play experience. Um, How many different character classes did you say there are? Uh, there's rogue, barbarian, sorcerer, druid, necromancer. Like I'm forgetting one. Anyway, there's at least that many. Okay. So more than any other game upon release. Diablo oh, 3 sure, didn't have that sure. many. Diablo 2 definitely didn't have that many. Um, so one of the things that I find interesting or the, the most interesting thing thus far for me is the aspect system. So gear has rarity and it's always had rarity in the various games uh, from Diablo 2 onward at least. Uh, I don't remember if Diablo 1 did. I didn't play a lot of Diablo 1, but um, rare... Or, sorry, magical, rare, legendary is the kind of the tiers, and then there's there's one beyond that, but I've never seen one, so I don't know the name of it. Um, but anyway, the legendary items have a aspect on them, and that as- aspect can be changed or can be pulled off and put onto new gear. So if you find an aspect you like or that is key to your class, you can move it around to new gear or save it for later. You can also do... Um, quests or dungeons to open up new aspects and that's something that is new in Diablo 4 that I think is really innovative and interesting to the action RPG genre um, and especially to the Diablo family like if you could find the gear piece that you wanted in Diablo 2 and the key stat on it you could just carry forward to new gear as you leveled up or as you got better gear that would have kind of reinvented the way that Diablo 2 worked or Diablo 3 worked and that's what Diablo 4 does so anyway it's sort of inspired me Um, I've enjoyed the games a lot I put more time into it upon release than I ever did in Diablo 3 Um, or and it's similar to what I did in Diablo 2 except for I'm an old man now I can't stay up you know for like 40 hours straight (laughs) with Diablo 2 yeah 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 I feel you Um, but I definitely stay up way later than I should and play more than I should with Diablo 4 because it's just there's 
so much about it that's interesting and I'm learning and growing and I'm level 45. So um, I've put a lot more time and effort into it so far than I ever did in the previous ones initially, just because there's always something new and interesting opening up. Now, 45 isn't very high. Most of my friends are way higher than that. In fact, if I open my social tab right now, since I'm playing currently, <laughs> um, uh, James Morehouse is on. He's play, he's level 60 on the character he's on, which I don't think that's his main character. Um, but uh, I have several other friends on here, 81, 79, um, uh, 60, etc. And it's fairly late, so most of my friends have dropped off at this point. But um, I'm one of the lower level characters um, group amongst my group of friends. So clearly people are enjoying it. Did you play much Diablo, Josh? I have not played Diablo since 2. Isn't it 2 that we did a basement run-through? Or is that actually OG? But yeah, I really don't think I've played since 2. It probably wasn't OG if you played it with multiple people, because I don't recall one having multiplayer at all. It might have with an expansion or something, but I don't, the base game definitely didn't have it. But anyway, I, I never, I did never ended up picking up 3, you know what I mean? And I trying to think yeah so no that that's been i I, part of it for me is like hmm, it it feels twitchy like it feels like a an old man shouldn't be playing this game um so i won't disagree with you and in fact i think it's gotten worse no jeez okay okay so and and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's definitely um diablo 2 was more forgiving Okay. Um, yeah, then yeah. Diablo three, as far as um, being able to beat the twitchy thing and hitting the keys and staying alive. I mean, Diablo two. Um, I when you got geared, you could. I mean, I could. My Amazon could run Diablo all by by herself, no problem. I mean, just ridiculous levels of power. And I'm sure you can get to that level of power in Diablo four. But it came pretty quickly and pretty easily, I think, in Diablo two. Diablo four is a little bit more twitchy you got to your builds have got to be a little bit more on point the challenge has gone up a little bit and that's good because i think most people at this point who've been playing the series are to that level where they want some challenge they don't want to mm-hmm. just come in and clear everything but if you're not familiar with the series and you, you haven't been playing in a while and you log in um i think you probably would die a few times um and you might struggle with some of the bosses i don't think it's insurmountable you just would struggle more than the average person. Yeah. So whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, you know, that's up to you. It simply is. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about Diablo 4. I mean, there's tons of stuff, but the core of it is that the um, the ability trees are, there's a lot more options in them. It's like Diablo 2, but on steroids, and it makes it fun um, to kind of make your own build. And then the other part is I really think the the crafting system and the aspects really take gear to another level and i'm sorry you might have said but i maybe didn't pay attention what class is your first run with what do you what are you playing a druid it's not normally what i would play but um so i i've always played sorcerers uh but when i started diablo 4 the two friends i was playing with had already they'd been they pre-ordered and and bought the whatever special edition that gave them four days advance on me Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they would they'd already they'd already hit like level 25 when i logged in and one of them was playing a sorcerer 
and the other one was playing the other class that I'd normally play, which is um, Barbarian. So I ended up playing a Druid. Well, there you have it. Do you see, your, do you see yourself going through and, and playing it with a bunch of different classes? Probably. Uh, I mean, that's pretty consistent with me, like throughout all the um, Diablos. I'll probably play multiple classes until I find one that really, really clicks. And then I'll play that one to a higher level than all the rest. But I've, mm-hmm. I haven't, I, I start, I built my, my, you know, went through character creation for my sorcerer and then he's still level one. I've never logged in with him. So maybe Druid is the one that's clicking with me so far, but it, it is the type of game where I will, I will continue to, to, once I've found the right class, I will play it um, a lot. How how far out you you mentioned this? I think in this main episode, not the the other one, but how far out is F1 Manager? Uh, July, July. Oh man, you gotta get your Diablo Four done then. Yeah, Diablo Four is over in July. Yeah, I I didn't <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be that close. Uh, it's the same time it came out last year, approximately. Yeah, that <laughs> seems like a form of cruelty. Um, yeah, it's it's coming out uh, July. 31st i think and july 27th if you order the special edition and pre-order which i did yeah. of course of course yes. um yes but uh you know last year i played williams and got them to the top quickly i think that from what i've seen from um the devs a lot of the complaints said hey this isn't hard enough to you know take uh, take will like i think yeah. i won the championship in season three but it was totally doable. Um, I think if I went back and played it now, I'm pretty sure I could win the the um, constructors championship with, with Williams in season two. Interesting. And that that shouldn't be possible. Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. no team should go from dead last to dead to first in once from one season to the next. That's right. just that is that's a little too much. So I think they've they've upped the difficulty this year. We'll see if that's true or not. Um, but but uh, we're going to return McLaren to glory. <laughs> Unlike last year, I picked well, my team beforehand. I know day one, it's Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris all the way through. I am I'm excited uh, for there to be a more interesting F1 season than uh, Verstappen. Just yes, there there definitely would be a more interesting F1 season on my game. How's that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap it up there and uh, let us know what you guys think of uh, the industry leaders in these genres and of Diablo 4, and stay tuned for next week.